Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And just like that, we're back. Another edition, the Thursday edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We are wall-to-wall, as we always are. It is a mailbag edition, after all. If you want to submit questions, well, for this particular episode, you needed to be on Twitter last night, at Late Kick Josh. And by the way, if you want to be part of the secret Friday night, can't tell management about it, hopefully they don't listen to the podcast gambling chat, it's Instagram Live. And I do it this way for a reason. I know some of you aren't on every platform. I would encourage you just start a little burner account, just if nothing more, so you can participate in this. We've had a lot of fun the past two weeks with that. What I'm doing with that is I have a model, as you know, we've got to run on every single game. I hand out a few via the Ramen Noodle Express. For those of you who are new, those are our official bets for the week. I've got a couple more coming tonight, by the way, if you're going to watch Late Kick Live. But obviously, there are dozens more games out there that I don't get to touch on during the week. I do the big game breakdowns. I let you know where I lean on the Ramen Noodle Express games. But still, 90% of the games we don't get to touch on. That's what that Friday night chat is for. It's on Instagram Live, and as you can tell, it's live. And I'm usually in a hotel room like this Friday. I'll fly into Pittsburgh Friday night. I'll get into a hotel, and I will then turn that thing on. I usually let you know about 30 minutes beforehand. I'll let you know on Twitter. I'll let you know on Instagram Story. And so you can be checking for that. It's usually late. It's around midnight on the East Coast. But the last thing in my experience, way back in the day when I used to like bet the whole board, First off, don't do that. But secondly, the last thing I would be doing on a Friday night before I went to bed is I'd be checking lines. I know a lot of you guys are doing that. And if not, it's the first thing you're going to do Saturday morning so you can watch this replay. But what I'm trying to do is give you a chance in that live chat to ask about games. And if I've got, or rather if the model has a lean on the game, I'll let you know. Most of the time, the model is right on the number because most of the time we agree with the number. Uh, To give you a very quick 30-second synopsis of how I choose the games we bet on, As soon as the lines are released on Sunday, let's say for sake of argument, 50 lines are released. Right off the bat, I can tell you 35 of them, I just push off the table because the Vegas number mirrors virtually what our number is. And so within moments of the lines releasing on Sunday, I have filtered it down to about 15 games that are worth keeping an eye on. From there, we run it through a finer set of model filters. Then we start inserting anything manual, any upgrades or downgrades for injury. And even then, we're probably going to push another three or four off the table. So it ends up, by the time the sun goes down on Sunday evening, out of 50 games, if they've been released, I probably have anywhere from 8 to 12 that I'm even willing to consider betting that week. Uh, That is the wise approach, by the way. Now, obviously, something drastic could change during the week. But by and large, that is the sample size. That's the pool with which we're working from. Now, I don't always bet all of them. So some nights, like for instance, in week one, we did not bet Texas officially, but a lot of you asked, what about Texas, Louisiana? And I told you, the model loves Texas. Some of you ran with that. Some of you won money. Maybe that's anecdotal. Maybe that's a good strategy. Anyway, this is not what this podcast is about. I just wanted to remind you we're doing that. I'm doing that. It's at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. 
And I hope to see you there on Friday night. It will be live from Pittsburgh. Friday Night Lines is what we're calling it, live from Pittsburgh. And uh, it sounds grandiose, but it's really just me in some dark corner in a hotel room. Okay, we got a really full mailbag, so let's dive in. A number of you asked about the JP poll. And I got to be honest with you guys, as I always try and be, I almost don't release this. Like, I didn't do it last year. I did not even release the JP poll last year. The JP poll, for those unfamiliar, all it is is my power ratings. And to put a finer point on it, all it is is me asking our model to spit out power ratings to me. There is no gut. There's no feeling. There's no emotion in it. It is just raw power rating. It's no different than if I were running a sports book, the numbers I would be working off to set our lines would be based off of these power ratings. That's it. The reason I hesitate in releasing it is because that context is lost on so many people. They don't understand the difference between a ranking and a power rating. Well, let me tell you the difference. The University of Iowa is the difference. If I were ranking Iowa, if I had an AP vote, or let's say I was on the college football playoff committee, I'd have Iowa way up in my top 10 right now because they've got probably the most impressive resume, don't they? I mean, they've beaten Indiana. They went on the road and beat Iowa State. And it doesn't really matter for merit purposes. It doesn't matter if it was a bunch of turnovers that caused it. They forced the turnovers. They won the game. So I'd be extremely high on Iowa. I am high on Iowa from a merit-based perspective. you got to understand in a power rating world, none of that matters. None of it. If you ran a sports book and you knew what you were doing, if you were generating your own model numbers, none of that matters. The problem with any kind of model that is forward-thinking, that is predictive in nature, that is trying to see around the corner instead of seeing in the rearview mirror, is they're not going to value teams that have disproportionately benefited from points off turnovers. And the reason is not because they're not worth anything. But if we're strictly looking forward, that is a horrifically flawed way of trying to predict what a team will be down the road because there's so much variance and random nature of turnovers. Even the teams that are good at forcing them, you cannot count on it week over week. So right now, you've got a situation where Iowa is ranked in the AP, as they should be, over several teams that would be favored against Iowa if they played on a neutral field. Well, the JP poll is the latter. It is a power rating. And so I'm putting Iowa no higher than above the amount of teams that I would favor them against on a neutral field. So a lot of you asked about that. Iowa was the most glaring example this week, and so many people got bent out of shape, and there's no reason to because once I provide the context, there's not even a whole lot of opinion involved. I can tell you right now, I had an odds maker buddy I reached out to just to make sure I wasn't insane. He said, no, I've actually got Iowa at 16. Uh, this is a guy, by the way, who sets numbers for a living. At, I think S&P Plus with Connolly has him lower than I do as well. So if anything, I think I've overrated Iowa, haven't I? No, I haven't overrated him. I think I have him right. But let's just, let's just breathe for a second. We're not even a month into the season. Plus, this stuff doesn't matter. It's my poll, and even I'm telling you it doesn't matter. It's not like it's going to impact a game. It's just a fun little exercise, but I almost hesitate to put him out because it's not really fun to just have the same people say the same thing every week. And what it looks like, this is what I really want to avoid, what it looks like for the untrained eye is I'm trying to hot take you. And you guys who listen to this show or who watch the show know that is the absolute last approach you'll ever see me take to try and garner any kind of attention. I'd just assume retire and go drive a street sweeper truck for the Columbus Municipal Government before I started doing the hot take stuff. And I don't say that as a slight. There were Two things, three things really that fascinated me as a kid. Little JP was, of course, fascinated by trains. Uh, fully grown JP still is. 
I was fascinated by, I'm going to save that one. I'm going to save the second one for last. I was fascinated by street sweepers, you know, the things with the big brooms on them, the trucks. Uh, those things fascinated me. I mean, I would have my grandma, who I stayed with after school for a few hours in the afternoon, we would get in her Buick and we would go around the neighborhood and we would find the street sweeper truck and we would just follow the street sweeper truck. We would also go down to the rail yard, which is downtown in Columbus. She lived in Phoenix City, just across the river. So we would drive over into Columbus and she would go let me watch the trains. Columbus is a Norfolk Southern town, not CSX, not BNSF. It is Norfolk Southern territory. But the third one was garbage trucks. I don't think I've revealed this publicly. Some of you who are closer to me know this. Uh, it's not a secret. I'm not even ashamed of it. I'm halfway proud of it. When I was a kid, I was fascinated with garbage trucks. So much so that we would hang out at the top of my neighborhood every summer on Tuesday morning, and we would wait for the garbage truck to come down Fortson Road and turn into my neighborhood. And the thing about Harris County is we still have prisoners who collect trash on the back of the truck. It's not city workers. It's inmates on the back. It's a trustee in the cab driving. Now, these days, there's a big sign on the side of all the trucks that says it's illegal for you to talk to the prisoners. Well, back in the day, uh, that sign did not exist. It was a free-for-all. So me and four or five buddies on bikes would follow the garbage truck around a very hilly neighborhood, by the way. It's challenging. Built up some big quads and glutes every Tuesday. But we would assist prisoners, actual prisoners, us kids would assist them in loading garbage into the back of the truck. It was the highlight of our week. We would always have our parents make them stuff. We would give the prisoners a platter of food. Again, none of this is legal. It's not even remotely legal, but it's the Wild West back then in Harris County. And so that was the third thing. Those are the things that fascinated me when I was a kid. And I got to be honest with you, that took about two and a half minutes. I have no clue how we got there. I'm not even going to go back and replay it for my own memory's sake. I am just going to tell you finally, before we dive back into college football, one of my favorite Christmas presents of all time, you'll know I'm not lying because there's no way anyone would think to make this up, was one of the older ladies that went to church with us made me a full prisoner outfit. She made me an orange vest. She made me white pants with a stripe down the side identical to the uniforms the prisoners wore in Harris County on the back of the truck. This might as well have been Gucci. This might as well have been Versace or Versace, as we would call it in Harris County. Highlight of my childhood. Easily highlight of that year. So yeah, that's a little glimpse into my childhood. How about you? What did you do for fun when you were a kid? Uh, we make some college football in there too, though. All right, let's roll on. This is so indicting. Let's roll on. Um, here's a question about this weekend's Michigan State-Miami game. And there was also another question from Jimmy, what are the two games you're looking forward to the most this weekend? So let me hit Jimmy's right there. The one I'm going to, Penn State-Auburn is going to be phenomenal. That's one. Obviously, Alabama at Florida is one. But let's push those off to the side. What are some other games? Well, Jimmy, one of them is Michigan State at Miami. Miami's favored by six and a half here. Our buddy Brandon Champion also asked, hey, how about a breakdown on this game? So I'm hitting like five questions at once. Uh, this game, to me, is going to have my attention. It's an early kickoff. It's a noon kickoff. And... Miami's favored by six and a half or seven, and I just don't know even with home field factored in there. If you just watched the teams play, you didn't know anything from a preseason magazine, you don't know anything about the past or what these teams are supposed to be, if you just watched them play, would you think that? Because I don't know that you would, but then there's that factor in the back of your mind that, well, if Michigan State would have had to play Alabama in Atlanta in week one, it's Michigan State who would have had a big fat L put on their resume, and all of a sudden you'd be thinking a lot less of them. No, I don't think that's where my head's at. To be honest with you, I didn't think Miami looked terrible against Alabama. I just thought Alabama was Bama that day. I actually told you on a show 
after that game, I thought Derek King played okay. I thought he played good enough to beat a lot of highly ranked teams. So I'm considering all that. I just don't know that Miami's that much better right now than Michigan State. Now, what Michigan State has not seen is any kind of disruptive defensive front yet. But if you look at the lines of scrimmage in totality, and that's always where I like to go if there's no discernible edge all over the place, I like to go to lines of scrimmage. I just don't think Miami's got a massive line of scrimmage edge. Not talking about former recruiting rankings here. I'm talking about the product on the field. How have they played? If you did not know anything about the talent level and all you had to go on was the product on the field. It is a huge game for both programs. For Manny Diaz, make no mistake, I don't care if it's a non-conference game. It's a must-win game for them. You lose this game, you're one and two. Your only win was narrow over App State. You start losing a ton of juice. I mean, you start losing a ton of it. However, if you win, then you're bolstered going into conference play. I think they have Virginia next up. So it's big. It's a really big turning point for them. What if Michigan State were to get this win, though? Remember how it felt last year when they out of nowhere, seemingly beat Michigan, that would be this feeling. And they'd go on the road down south to do it. I mean, that'd be a big feather in the cap of Mel Tucker. So that's one I'm looking forward to, Jimmy. Another one that's off that prime radar is Virginia Tech at West Virginia. That is also a noon Eastern time kickoff. And I'm telling you, a lot of you hit me up and you said, you had Virginia Tech rated too low. I did not have Virginia Tech in our top 25, by the way. They were at 26. I think they were right there on the cusp. Uh, but it, you know you can't tell because I don't list things past 25. You guys may be right about that because the same model that we're talking about bashing for not ranking Virginia Tech also told me Virginia Tech's one of our plays of the week. We think they're going to beat West Virginia. And so if they do, I think it stands to reason you'd probably see them in next week's JP poll. But Justin Fuente, what a story here. Remember, towards the end of last year, it looked like, for all intents and purposes, he was a dead man walking. Previously, everyone thought, oh, it's a COVID year. No one's going to get fired. But then that started to evaporate like fog in the late morning hours. And then, well, everybody's job was on the line. And Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech were bad, uh, to put not too fine a point on it, towards the middle of the season. And they were lifeless. You guys remember what they looked like, right? They were lifeless. They were a ship without a rudder or a ship without a sail or any number of nautical metaphors would fit the uh, way to describe Virginia Tech at that point. But then a funny thing happened. They beat Virginia handedly to end the year. And then they open up 2021 and they beat North Carolina. If they go on the road and they win this game outright, which we think they're going to, um, how are we viewing Justin Fuente? How is Virginia Tech fan viewing Justin Fuente at that point? This game is so weird because you only get 12 of them a year. It's not Major League Baseball. You don't have time to go on a 5-16 and 16 stretch but still make the playoffs. You don't have a team that gets hot and goes 9-1 and one but still misses the playoff. In this sport, you can't do that. I mean, one game at a time really does mean one game at a time, but there are only 12 of them. And so your feelings can change radically. Jimmy, that game's worth watching. I think there are a lot of them like that. Let me quickly run down this slate. I'm not going to list every single game, but just others that I'm keeping an eye on. Kent State is at Iowa. This is one to keep an eye on, not because I expect an upset, but remember, the Hawkeyes have disproportionately benefited off turnovers. This is not an explosive offense. It's an opportunistic team. The question becomes, how much margin can Iowa get on perceived inferior competition if the turnover battle is just even? Kent State's a 23-point dog. Big letdown spot for Iowa. A double letdown spot, actually. So let's just keep an eye on them. Uh, USC is at Washington State. No clue what to expect from 
either program this week, to be honest with you. How about Clemson? Clemson is welcoming in Georgia Tech. Clemson's favored by 28. Their offense has looked bad uh, two weeks in a row. I mean, even against South Carolina State, did not like what I saw at all. Purdue is only a seven-point dog in South Bend. So there are two schools of thought here. Either Notre Dame got a wake-up call last week against Toledo, and now they get right, and Purdue just happens to be the victim in the way, or Jeff Brom finally has his remember-me game. A remember-me game is when a coach was hot, and then his team lost some games, and then all of a sudden he flashes back on the radar, and then he's back at the top of everyone's hot candidate list. Jeff Brom needs one of those games badly. Those are just some of the early window games. Cincinnati is at Indiana. This is one of those two games that Cincinnati's been told all summer, some would call it the offseason, they've been told, hey, if you want to be in this room with us, this big boy room, the playoff conversation room, you're going to have to win your conference. Yeah, but oh, anyone could do that. You've got to beat some Power 5 teams. Oh, you got Indiana? Yeah, you're going to have to beat them. Oh, you got Notre Dame? You're going to have to beat them. Well, this is the first of those games, and their favored are the Bearcats by four points. Let's see how they fare. But we've got a lot of games. I mean, I'm going to run down some of these on Thursday night. So tonight, in other words, on Late Kick Live. Uh, but that's just a small taste of what I'm looking at. Uh, let's move on to King Jester. He said, what do you think is currently most likely? The ACC is left out of the playoff. The Big Ten is left out of the playoff. The Big 12 is left out of the playoff. The Pac-12 is left out of the playoff. Or multiple are left out for two SEC teams. Well, you know I've got a policy on the playoff. I do not like to talk about it in depth. I don't like to talk about scenarios in depth until at least mid-October. I will answer this, though, King, because you asked. I think it's the last one. The most likely thing, I think, is multiple conferences are left out because two SEC teams make the playoff. Here's what to watch. I'm looking at our model every single week, albeit we're only three weeks in, but I'm looking at our model and what we set our model up to do, it's a lot the same way as atmospheric science sets up forecast models to do. All it is built to do is draw on past model data and draw on past analog data points. Right now, what the 2021 model is pinging is 2011. In 2011, what happened was Alabama and LSU started to separate from a quality team standpoint. They started to separate from the rest of the pack. And there was that in my opinion, pretty dumb conversation of, well, Alabama lost, so Oklahoma State should be in the title game. Here's what I can tell you. Oklahoma State would have been over a touchdown underdog to either one of those teams on a neutral field. So in our mind, it wasn't close. It was Bama, LSU by a significant margin as the one and two best teams in the country that year. So anyway, what's interesting is it's still early. This could change. But the model right now is pinging 2011 as the most comparable data point in recent history, since we've been doing it, which was 07, I think, uh, it's the most comparable data point. So what it's saying is, in other words, be careful. What we could be seeing right now is two SEC teams separating themselves in terms of quality from the pack. Only this time it would be Alabama and Georgia. I'm of the opinion we got to see Bama against Florida and Texas A&M before we really start to understand what quality of team they are. I'm not saying where they're ranked. I think they're the best team in the country. I'm asking what quality of team are they? Because that's all relative. Number one in the country is all relative. I told you on the Tuesday night edition of Late Kick Live, I ran last year and this year through a model. The 2020 Alabama team that ended the season winning a title would be an 11.5 point favorite in our model over this current Alabama team. So they were both number one, right? But one has a double digit gap on the other. So number one's all relative year to year, depending on how many high quality teams you have across the landscape. 
So just something to keep in mind there. Sidelines Penn State is up next. The very spot I will be geographically Saturday, as it turns out. He said, what would you think about there not being preseason polls and the first rankings get released week eight and nine for the playoff show on ESPN? How do you think that would change or shift any narrative? Well, I don't think it would be possible, obviously. I've never had a problem with preseason polls. It's very popular these days to say we should do away with preseason polls. Uh, Could someone tell me why? Could someone tell me the detriment of it? And let me finish my sentence. Let me finish my sentence. I know some of you are already talking right now. Let me finish my sentence. Can someone tell me what is so detrimental about preseason polls if we understand how to not marry ourselves to them and properly interpret what our eyeballs are seeing? Now, having said that, can someone tell me, can anyone tell me what's so evil about a preseason poll? If I had a poll, not a power rating, totally different. We already covered that. If I had a poll and I didn't have Iowa in it, or let's say I had them ranked 23rd to start the year, I'd have no problem having Iowa fifth right now. I wouldn't care. I would totally flip my preseason opinion upside down because my eyeballs, the actual games being played on the field, have told me a different story than what my favorite random preview magazine told me. No big deal. So if you have that mentality, I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's a very fun exercise to do the preseason polls. I think some of them are put out there for obvious reasons, and that is to get you worked up. But you know, if you just want to have a little fun and you want to put together what you think, It's okay, just as long as you write it in pencil, very light pencil, and don't marry yourself to it. What I think is ridiculous is someone who hardwires themselves in to an opinion that's really based off nothing more than spring games and magazines, and then they require two solid months of contrary data points actually on a football field to ever change that opinion. Now, I think there is a little bit of ignorance in that mentality. There's a lot of ignorance in that mentality, but I think a lot of, I think enough of us understand how this should work that. We don't have to fall victim to that. So I don't have a problem with the preseason polls. And even if you wanted to outlaw them, well, sports betting is outlawed in some states still. You getting money down this weekend? I think you probably are, aren't you? Bryce is up next, and Bryce has a really complicated or at least a complex question. I'm going to do the ask it, toss to the ad read, and then come back and answer it sort of deal. Bryce said, you talked about Sam Pittman embodying Arkansas as a culture. Well, we had the same conversation about Coach O at LSU. What has to happen differently for Sam Pittman to fare better than Orgeron? Yes, I know LSU did win a national championship. Marinate on that. Orgeron not in a good place at the moment, even two years removed from a national championship. Sam Pittman on top of the world after that win against Texas. Still a long way to go. But looking up, what does he have to do to avoid the pitfalls? I'll talk about it when we come back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits. Turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So Bryce asks simply, how does Sam Pittman at Arkansas avoid a lot of the mess that Ed Orgeron finds himself in right now? Well, the first thing is you have to stay true to yourself. You have to understand who you are, and no matter how good or bad people talk about you, that never changes. I think Ed Orgeron came in, had some success, but then had a ton of success in 2019. I think 2019 hardened him a lot to ever listening to any outside voice, to ever taking any advice. It is very hard when you get told you just put together the best run in college football history after everyone doubted you. It is really hard to open yourself up and humble yourself enough to still be able to look in the mirror in the morning with the world at your fingertips and say, there's some stuff I don't know. Ed Orgeron, in retrospect, was probably very ill-equipped to be the beneficiary of that season, but yet it's not like he put a quarter in a grab claw machine and won a teddy bear. I mean, he had a lot to do with it. I just don't think as qualified as he was to lead in that particular year, I think he was equally as ill-equipped to deal with the what I call the consequences of success. And anyone who is achieved at a high level knows it doesn't remove all the problems from your life. Winners do not have all the problems removed from their lives. The folks at the highest level, the top 1%, they don't have trouble-free lives. They just have a different set of problems than a normal person does. And you never get to experience him in all likelihood because most of us will never be the 1%. But I'm telling you, Ed Orgeron, he's finding out. Nick Saban's found it out in the past. Urban Myers found it out in the past. They probably dealt with it a little bit better or a lot better, but Ed Orgeron's finding out once you win and win at a high level, your problems don't go away. You don't get to hit the cruise control button ever in this sport, in this league or in this sport because the sport never sits still. Nothing stays the same. Everything is continually evolving around you. Your opponent's are evolving. The way they recruit against you, the way they game plan against you, it's evolving. The administrative and corporate power structure around the program is evolving. It's always on the move. So you, as a default, cannot afford to sit still. And I think Ed Orgeron hardened himself a lot and sort of froze himself in that moment. And the reality was a lot of things needed to change because a lot of guys went out the door and you had to bring new people in. And from what I've been told from some people around that program, it's a program I love, so I tiptoe. But I've been told Ed Orgeron went from maybe somewhat reasonable and somewhat able to listen to you to completely putting his finger over your lips and just, shh, I got this. No, Ed, I'm trying to help you. Shh, I got this. Don't you see this ring? Don't you think I know what I'm talking about? Don't you think I know what I'm doing? Well, yeah, I think Joe Brady knew what he was doing. I really do think that. And I think you knew what you were doing to hire him. Uh, The problem is he's not here and you're still assuming that the results will be the same. Ed, I don't think that's smart. Shh, I know what I'm doing. Well, you don't. 
And so I hope Sam Pittman understands that. Sam Pittman's got an interesting little situation here, which I think could draw another parallel, not to LSU. Sam Pittman has got a great combination of coordinators right now. He's got Barry Odom as his defensive coordinator, one of the best undertold stories in college football right now. And then he's got Kendall Bryles as his offensive coordinator. And the thinking out there is anytime a program that is not supposed to be winning starts winning, you better be careful because their coordinators are going to get poached. And there is reason to think that normally because normally that's what happens. Did it happen with the Clemson Tigers? No, it did not. It did not happen with them. They started winning championships, as a matter of fact, and the coordinators stayed. Famously, most of the coaching staff has stayed. And how did that happen? Well, it happened because when you ask those guys, they say, well, we didn't have any reason to leave. What about more money? Well, you can't buy the happiness and the culture we have here. Folks who have a little life experience about themselves and they've been in unhappy places and uncomfortable places, once they find happiness, brother, it's it's really hard to rip that away from them. I don't care what kind of job title and desk plaque you offer them and an upgrade and pay don't ever try and get happier than happy. And they found happiness. A lot of those staffers at Clemson love it. What if Sam Pittman builds a Clemson-like culture? I'm not saying the championship rings automatically come with that. I'm talking about from a dynamic standpoint, the new thing to keep an eye on at Arkansas is, is Barry Odom married to the concept of being there a few years? Is Kendall Bryles married to the concept of being there a few years? Because they're going to have offers come their way. Uh, they already did. Ed Orgeron tried to get Barry Odom as his defensive coordinator this past offseason. And Barry Odom did not go. Almost happened, but he did not go. That's been publicly talked about, so that's not a secret I'm sharing with you. Uh, Kendall Bryles is obviously going to have offers too. It's just a unique situation. This is very rare. Everyone preaches culture, like I've told you. So few get it right to the point where people are willing to stick around even when what we would call better options come along. But they have not created that at LSU. Ed Orgeron has not created that. They created an incubator where a championship could grow, a championship team could grow and thrive in 2019. But do you see any residue of 2019 on that program right now? I don't. So I don't think that was culture. I think that was a special group and a special year. If it was, then the culture got spoiled really quickly. Let me just put it that way. Because there's a lot down there that doesn't feel good. I wish it were otherwise. I'd be happy to lie to you, but I can't. I wish it felt different, but I know good and well because I know a lot of you, most of the LSU fans who listen, you feel equally as bad right now, and your language in some cases is a little more harsh than mine is towards your own program. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Let's rattle through a couple more here. I think I had a question. Yeah, here we go, about Michigan. I did not record who sent this, so my apologies, but the question is, don't you have to be at least a little concerned about Michigan's ability or lack thereof to throw the ball through two games? Yes. My definitive answer is yes. J.P. Poll has Michigan, I think, at 13th. I'm surprised by that. Quite frankly, that feels high to me. But that just goes to show you, I don't manually override anything. I put out what the model says to put out. almost feel like a trained seal, just ooh, ooh, ooh. But that's what the model says. Yeah, I got concerns. Absolutely. I will say this now, for better or for worse, I'll let you interpret, Michigan fan, based on how you perceive what I'm about to say. We don't have to guess about Michigan's identity, do we? That run-to-pass combination or ratio the other day, I don't know, it was like 17-52 to 52 or something like that. It was crazy. And they ran it and ran it, and then when they were done running it, well, they decided to run it some more. And even Washington, in desperation mode, a very sound defensive team, could not hold up to it. 
Uh, yes, of course, the problem is going to be eventually someone's going to have a lead on Michigan, and eventually they're going to have to put the ball in the air, and no. I don't think anyone has confidence in that, up to and including that coaching staff. And if you think back to spring, we thought we were going to see Xavier Worthy on this team and Ronnie Bell healthy all year, and Worthy is now playing for Texas, very well, might I add, and Ronnie Bell's out for the year. I think at some point, I think they said this on the broadcast the other night, at some point it seems that Jim Harbaugh looked around and said, you know what, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down doing it my way. Josh, Gaddis, come over here, uh, run the ball. Run it, run it, run it. But what about no, run it? Uh, so I think what they're going to do is they're going to run it. They'll probably lose some games because of this, but I think Jim Harbaugh is comfortable with going down if they go down sticking to what he perceives to be the strengths of his team. Let's roll with Spencer here, and I'm going to tag team this with a lot of the questions you guys asked about this Saturday about Auburn at Penn State. So the first questions were just kind of like talk about it a little bit. You know, what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to the environment. I cannot overstate this enough. I know I go on these diatribes every week, but I'm going to keep this one to 45 seconds. It is so exciting for a kid who grew up in the South. I'm still calling myself a kid for these purposes. I am a kid who grew up in the South. I watched Southern football, but I just watched these Big Ten atmospheres from a distance, and I was always fascinated by them. They're massive stadiums, great, rich tradition, and you know on every street corner. Down here at every Chevron, we talk about the SEC, and we talk about how there's nothing that duplicates the passion and the rabid fan bases down here. Listen, I believe that, okay? But I also know that when I turn on a Penn State game and I watch that whiteout, I know there's nothing that supersedes that down here even. I know when I watch those big-time atmospheres in the Big Ten, I know, for one thing, I can do math. I know those stadiums are even bigger. And number two, the spectacle is incredible. It's just, it's the spectacle alone. I had a buddy who hit me up on Twitter in the DMs today and said, I've got a friend who doesn't watch college football. They've agreed to watch for a weekend. What should I show them? I said, turn on this game Saturday night. Because a total agnostic sports fan could turn this on and be fascinated just with the spectacle. I used to love pro wrestling. I don't like the product anymore. I'll still turn on WrestleMania for the spectacle. I'm fascinated by the set design, by the pyros, by the lighting, by the broadcast presentation and all that stuff. Watch the Penn State-Auburn game, even if you're not fascinated with the teams. The spectacle alone is what I can't wait to be a part of, and I get to be there. I mean, I get to have a company send me there and wear a white T-shirt, excusably, during the entire process. It gets no better than that. Come on now. It gets no better than that. So Spencer asked a follow-up question that kind of piggybacks off that. He said, with Penn State and Auburn coming up, do you prefer the home-and-home, out-of-conference, or neutral site? Oh, this is a slam dunk. No one loves neutral site games. No one does. Unless it's a bowl game at the end of the year, no one loves neutral site games. And I'm glad when you look at future scheduling, far fewer of those neutral site games are being scheduled. We've got a lot of home and homes on campus games being scheduled. There's nothing like going on the road in college football. I have talked about this at such great lengths. I am enamored with home field advantage in college football. I wish so badly I could take you guys with me. I do it as much as I can, courtesy of a cell phone. I shoot as much behind-the-scenes footage for you as I can. I put it on the Instagram story on Saturdays, at Late Kick Josh. Highly recommend you follow for this weekend. Or on Twitter. I put a lot of it on Twitter, too. What I love showing you, though, there's, there's one specific facet that you never get to see. And that is, in most cases, you don't get to see it. How small 
and cramped and confined the visitors' locker rooms are. In a lot of cases, some of these major programs, they travel so deep. They have such a big roster and a big support staff and a training staff and nutrition staff, they can't fit their operation in the locker room. I have told you, I think a couple of times on this podcast, when Georgia and LSU and Alabama go into Auburn, the Auburn locker room's not big enough. It's, it's big enough in 1985. It's not big enough for these operations that they take on the road. And so if Alabama goes in there, they got a bunch of training tables and they got a bunch of nutrition areas. They got it spilling all out into the concourse that's under the stadium. So it's not like they're holding up traffic or anything, but it's all over the place down there. That's an advantage. It's an advantage also that when you have to walk back out to the field, you have to be in a single file line because the tunnel is so closed in. I hope you're not claustrophobic. The tunnel is so closed in. All of this stuff is awesome to me. I love it. You're really having to overcome something when you go on the road. Not to mention every 35 or 40 seconds when Bo Nix and that Auburn offense try and snap the ball Saturday night, it'll sound like they're doing it on a runway at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport in Atlanta. But that's why when you see these locker room celebration videos, that's why they look like they do in college. You have accomplished something. When you go on the road in these venues and you win, I don't care if you were favored or if you were a six-point dog, you have accomplished something. It feels like you just overcame something that should have been insurmountable because normal humans who have not prepared themselves mentally and physically for that would wilt. It's hard enough to gather your thoughts just standing on the sideline. You don't even have to go block and tackle. You don't have to throw or catch or run. You just stand there, and it's really hard to maintain your focus. Imagine playing in that, and then imagine winning in it. So it's fun. I I love competition, and I love the atmospheres, and I love watching someone in a competitive environment try and overcome those obstacles. That is, in a nutshell, what I'm looking forward to Saturday night. Not to mention being around about 110,000 people who are dressed like me, even if for one night only. All right, appreciate it so much. I'm going to get this sent off to Producer Jordan. Remember, be following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you drop us a five-star review. All the things I'm asking you to do, as usual, are free. And remember, with game day in town Saturday, we've got a new rule around here. Anyone who gets a Late Kick poster or a Pate State Freights poster or logo on national television is getting a piece of hardware from us. I cannot tell you what it is yet. It's going to be awesome. I love them. We are getting them made as we speak. And by them, I speak in plural form because I'm planning on having to send out more than one. Make it happen. Make sure you have evidence. Send it to me. I will put your name out there if you want it out there. But you are getting a good old-fashioned early Christmas present from us if you do indeed pull it off, like our buddy from Iowa, Calvin Marks, did just one week ago. Until tonight on Late Kick Live, thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 